despite all of the modern advancements in science and technology, there's still an enormous amount we don't know about soil biology. When we sequence a pound of soil when it comes into our lab, we're picking up about 10,000 different species. We're picking up greater than 500 billion microbes. 50% of what we sequence and what we pick up in those 10,000 species has not even been discovered yet. Pattern Ag is one of a handful of companies using DNA sequencing to shed light on important biological activity in the soil. VP of Sales Mike Tweedy says their focus is on identifying and managing pathogens in corn and soybeans. You know, you could easily take this predictive analytics into high value crops and charge a lot more money for it. But if you're going to fundamentally change agriculture, you've got to go into the two largest commodity crops. Their database and knowledge of relevant soil microbes can also help growers better understand the effectiveness of biological inputs. Biological products work great, but you have to understand the biology of the environment before you can put it on there. That's why we get inconsistent results of biological products because they get placed in the wrong fields. But when you put them in the right fields, they work really well. Predictive analytics for soil biology with Pattern Ag's Mike Tweedy on today's Future of Agriculture podcast. Hello, fellow ag nerds. Thanks so much for joining me for today's episode of the Future of Agriculture podcast. My name is Tim Hamrich, and every week you and I get to sit down with the founders, farmers, innovators, and investors shaping the future of the ag industry. And before we dive in today, I definitely want to take a minute to recognize our quarterly presenting sponsor, which is the engine of Canada's agriculture industry, Calgary, Alberta. Located in the heart of Alberta's best growing land, Calgary has it all. With more than 22 facilities in Alberta playing a critical role in ag research and innovation, Calgary is a hub for precision agriculture and agricultural technology. The Calgary region has proximity to customers, abundant primary agricultural commodities, and a growing cluster of value-added processing capacity, or processing, I think they would say it up there. That's why multinational agribusiness leaders call Calgary home. In Calgary, they're leading the agribusiness revolution, and you are welcome to join. Visit calgaryagbusiness.com. That's calgaryagbusiness.com to learn more. Thank you so much to Calgary Economic Development for supporting the Future of Agriculture podcast. Okay, now to today's episode with Mike Tweedy, VP of Sales for Pattern Ag. Pattern Ag, as you heard in the intro, is a predictive analytics company that uses DNA sequencing of the soil to see the actual biology in farmers' fields that they claim has never been seen until now. They take the unknown, such as very specific pathogens that rob top end yields, like soybean sudden death syndrome and corn rootworm, which we're going to talk a lot about today, as well as beneficial microbes to make them known. They're based in California, but focus exclusively on corn and soybeans, so Midwest-based agriculture primarily at this time. Mike is the vice president of sales and leads the Midwest commercial team. He's a sales guy, but he's also an ag guy with a long pedigree in the industry. He spent his early career with large agribusinesses like American Cyanamid, BASF, and Syngenta. He then pivoted his career in 2010 to focus on startups. And before Pattern Ag, he was the vice president of crop protection sales at Indigo. 
Uh, we're going to nerd out a little bit on soil and agronomy in this episode, but I think it also sheds some light on how much room there is for innovation in this area of soil biology. I mean, especially when you think about this in the context of the recent episode we had about plant breeding and the opportunities there, I think the combination of advancements in these two fields, so plant breeding and soil biology, really are critical for the future of ag, in my opinion. Mike's going to kick off our conversation here by talking about his ag background and what compelled him to join the mission over at Pattern Ag last year. You know, my history is in agriculture. I come from a family farm that was founded in around 1800. It's literally in my roots. Bachelor's and master's degree in agronomy from Southern Illinois University. Worked my entire career. It is the most important industry in the world, fifth or sixth largest industry in the world. And it really hasn't gone through a revolution in quite some time. And, um, you know, we've got genetics that can produce up to 500 bushels or more of corn, greater than two, 300 bushels of soybeans. But what we don't understand is the soil biology. And it is the most complex microbiome on earth. And so when I learned about the opportunity to come to work with a company that was unlocking things in, in soil biology, making the unknown known, I felt that that's really compelling. And that's really where I can make my mark on agriculture. Very cool. Yeah. And I, I would think, you know, you, you kind of gave both the problem and, and maybe the reason why it's a problem right there, which is the reason why we don't understand more about the soil microbe, because it is so vast. You always hear people say like in a tablespoon of soil, there's like billions of microbes and that sort of thing. How does Pattern Ag help us begin to understand that? Well, so what I found really compelling about Pattern is, you know, we're not trying to take a shotgun approach and understand everything all at once. Uh, because you're talking about 500 billion microbes in a pound of soil, 10,000 different species. What we're really focused on, and I, and I appreciate these things in an early stage company, is being hyper-vigilant and hyper-focused on the things that are knocking down the top end yield for growers. So pathogens, crop protection uh, pathogens like corn rootworm, systematode, a number of diseases like sudden death syndrome. By focusing on those things, we can ha have an immediate impact on the grower in a positive way. And you know, we're, we're looking at bad things and good things, but we're looking at the things that are going to affect top end yield. Okay. And let's get into the how a little bit more as far as I imagine the grower and or their agronomist are going to be soil sampling and submitting those soils to you at some point. And then you're going to be telling them what's in there as far as the specific microbial activity you're looking for. Is that right? And maybe walk us through kind of how that looks. Yeah. The, at a very high level, it's really white glove service. So we work through a series or a network of soil samplers. And we also work through a network of dealers. So we don't work, you know, directly with growers. We work with their trusted advisors. And when they select the fields and they upload those fields and put them into our software, our samplers like to follow the combine out of the field because by then all of the pathogens that we're looking for, all the beneficials that we're looking for for the next season are already there. Like corn rootworms have already laid their eggs. So when they hit a button in pattern.app, and says, okay, this field is ready to sample because I'm pulling the combine out of the field. Within two to five days, barring any major weather events, our samplers are out there pulling those cores. And I can talk about the sampling methodology here shortly, but in short, what we're doing is we're covering that entire field. We pull those cores. 
They get sent off to our lab in California. We don't outsource anything. So once those are received into the labs, we run them through our analytics. We run them through our process, which is really an automated process. And then they get their results two weeks later. And it just automatically populates in the app. I mean, that's critical that we get those turned around because it's going to be that information that's going to help them select the right variety, hybrid, trait, seed treatment, fungicide, whether I need an insecticide in furrow at planting. It's going to inform all of those kind of decisions for the next season. So if they have this information, let's say in some cases they can select a hybrid or a variety that, that will be you know, more resistant to whatever this problem is. Are they doing that basically, they're, they're incorporating that into some sort of script and they're planting maybe certain varieties within that spot and then other varieties to try to boost their yield in others? Is that typically what's happening? So we provide subfield views, but we make field level recommendations. The equipment really doesn't exist at scale to do variable planting, uh, variable hybrid or trait planting across. There is some equipment uh, that does do that today, and there are some of those growers that are using that equipment in that way. But for the most part, we make recommendations on a field level basis. Okay. Yeah. And that gets a little bit to my question, which is like, what can they do? Right. Because I would imagine in most cases, they've never had that information at that time before. That's sort of your value proposition, right? You get a field level view at a time you've never had it before. And so are there proactive measures, enough proactive measures to where like this really makes a big difference? Yeah, there's an old saying that farmers have 40 years to guess right because so much of what they do in terms of preparing and planning for the season is really using history and anecdotal information. You know, I had corn rootworm in this field at one time, so I better plan it, uh, you know, above and below ground protection, but they never really had the kind of data with the specificity and sensitivity that we can provide to show them, yes, you do have it. And here's what we recommend that you do. Now, we don't recommend brand names. We recommend trait stacks or we recommend, you know, a variety that's going to be resistant to this particular disease. And then it's up to them and the trusted advisor to sit down and determine what is the right product that I need to put in this field from this brand. Here's one thing that surprises me about this is like, is that you all can model out what thresholds make sense. Because, you know, I know even with insect pests that have been around forever that we've been sweeping for forever, there's still problems with thresholds. Like, well, we're not sure exactly where that threshold is yet. We need to do some more research. For you, this is a level of, of visibility they haven't had before. How do you come up with the model of saying like, this presence is too much, this presence, you're probably okay. Especially since, Anything can happen between that point in time and when they're going to have the problem. Yeah. So for corn rootworm, what we did is we tie egg count directly to expected root node injury. And the way that we did that is, you know, through a number of different research trials, you know, since the beginning of the company, we've planted naked hybrids with no protection, no insecticide. And then we went out prior to planting and tested those fields. So we did the soil analytics on it to determine egg count and so forth in given spots throughout the field. Then we went back and we had a research firm go in and do root node injury counts in those same exact spots. And so we can directly correlate that if there are zero to six eggs, then that's moderate pressure. If there's greater than six eggs in that field, then that's heavy pressure. And then what we do is we provide in the report if you do not protect your crop, this is the expected root node injury that you will see in that field. 
this is the gold standard. There is nothing more accurate than the way that we're doing that. We do the same thing with um, soybean cyst nematode. Now, with diseases, there are no scales like that. Like, we're literally the Lewis and Clark in this space kind of making these ratings. And so what we do is we look at it on a subclimate basis across each of the states, and we say, we look at the parts per million of inoculum, such as sudden death syndrome inoculum that's in the soil, and we look at what's the top 50th, 70th, and 90th percentile, and then that's how we set those ratings. Now, we are in the process of building the first data set that will give you expected yield outcome on sudden death syndrome, and we should have that out uh, sometime next season. So that's, that's never been done before. All right. So let, let's talk about that, because I think this is something where a lot of our ag tech listeners maybe run into this, which is if you are kind of unlocking what would cap top end yield, how do they know it was you? <laughs> how do they know it was you rather than just uh, it was a good year? Yeah. Well, one of the things that we like to work with growers on is, hey, plant a check strip, you know, prove it for yourself. What typically happens, though, is when we're providing back the results from, you know, like we're going to start soil sampling right now for the fall. And what growers will begin to see is things that happened in their field that they had no explanation for this past season. So growers know fields like the back of their hand. You know, they're over them many times during the season. And especially at harvest, they know where the high spots are and the low spots. And, you know, when they get our results back, they can say, oh, now I understand I had sudden death syndrome over on this part of the field, which is why the yields were 20% less than the rest of the field. Or, hey, I had corn rootworm, so it made sense that you know I had some down corn and, and I'm not going to go through that again because I don't like driving my combine at two miles an hour trying to pick up corn. So it begins to explain those things. So there's, there's the first part of validation from a grower's perspective. And then the second part is the next season is that, you know, when they plant the right seed, the right, put the right seed treatment out there, we ask them, you know, put a check strip in, you know, validate it for yourself. And so those are some of the things that we do. Interesting. And I know you've got some examples of, of growers that you work with you could share. J just one quick clarification. The company's based in California. I know you're in Atlanta, but it sounds like it's kind of Midwest focused based on the, the problems you're, you're solving with corn rootworm and soybean cyst nematode and those types. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, we made a determination at the in the inception of this company, you know, you could easily take this diagnostic work, this predictive analytics into high value crops and charge a lot more money for it. But if you're going to fundamentally change agriculture, you've got to go into the two largest commodity crops. Growers live on razor thin margins every single year. And if we can help them push that top end yield up, then a rising tide raises all ships. And so, we are based out of Emeryville, California, which is in the Bay Area. I am based out of Atlanta, but I fly to the Midwest every week. And so we are a 100% right now soybean and corn focused company, primarily focused in the Midwest. Well, let's go through a hypothetical here. And you could tell me whether this is common or not. But, you know, I'm thinking that the type of, of grower that's going to want to, you know, be interested in this would be the type that has experienced these problems, right? They know what it's like, how much of a yield hit it can be to have, you know, soybean cyst nematode as an example. And so they're like looking for solutions. But at the same time, if they've had that problem on that field, aren't they going to look for the resistant hybrid anyway? Kind of where does that differentiation in terms of like using this service, you know, come into play? Yeah, and that's a good example on soybean cyst nematode. But the number of other diseases that we're picking up in there, 
they can actually have a synergistic effect when you have multiple stacks of diseases in there. And you can't see that, you know, you can't pick that up and you wouldn't be able to know that otherwise. Now, where I've seen like the aha moments and the surprises is like when corn went down, you know, and uh, we saw that a lot in Northwest Iowa last year, Southern Minnesota, Eastern Nebraska, where the pressures were just so high that it overwhelmed the above and below ground protection. And, you know, it would have been a great case to have an uh, inferro insecticide there. So, you know, like one conversation that we had with a pretty large grower in South Dakota who ended up having a bunch of down corn, having to harvest through it. He said, I will never, ever, ever do that again. I'm testing all of my fields because I want to know what level of protection that I'm going to be. And then you've got growers on the other end of the spectrum who say, you know what? I don't want to have to pay for that protection if I don't need it. You know, corn rootworm is an interesting one because you would think with the amount of traits that are being sold that it 60 to 70 percent of all corn out there would have corn rootworm in it. But what we find is across the Midwest, it's more like 30 to 40 percent have, you know, economic level threshold, medium to high levels of um, corn rootworm in the in the field. So our report can inform, hey, I can not only could I put a conventional out here, but I could also go organic in this field if I wanted to. So it has tremendous impacts on what their decisions are going to be. Okay, so I didn't even think about organic, but that that's also a really interesting angle here too. They need all the tools they can get to to try to manage things uh, organically. So that's that's interesting one. So, but but I don't want to leave this this sort of biological interactions that cause susceptibility concept because I think it's really important. So, what, if I'm understanding you correctly, what you're saying is there may be another problem. Let's say it's a fungus or a bacteria that's causing the soybean to be more susceptible to soybean cyst nematode, as one example. And if you don't know what your level of that disease presence is, you may not fully know really how susceptible you are. Is that right? That's correct. So the perfect example is soybean cyst nematode and sudden death syndrome. You could have high levels of sudden death syndrome with no soybean cyst nematode and have a completely different expression than if the soybean cyst nematode was there because it acts as a vector for greater entrance of that inoculum into the plant. So that means that there's going to be much greater expression. And what we're doing is we're actually mapping out using our metadata and uh, AI learning to determine what is that expression going to be when you have these number of different diseases in the field. So in, in the not too distant future, probably next 12 months or so, we'll be able to map those things out and give a predictability on what that expression will look like with multiple pathogens present. And what about beneficial microbes? I mean, are you looking at that? I would imagine for some of these, there are, and and you have to redirect me if my terminology is wrong, because I'm not a microbiologist or soil scientist, but I would imagine that there are beneficial microbes that are almost predatory on some of these ones that we're trying to keep in check and their levels might influence how that model looks going forward. Is that right? That's correct. We're looking at not just the beneficial microbes, but we're also looking at the genetic pathways we would be able to tell you what your phosphorus solubilizing potential is in that field based on the genetic pathways that exist that break that rock phosphorus down. Now, what that does is that informs a biological product placement, okay? Biological products work great, but you have to understand the biology of the environment that that soil is before you can put it on there because that's why we get inconsistent results of biological products because they get placed in the wrong fields. But when you put them in the right fields, they work really well. It also is going to tell you things like, do I have good denitrification potential in this field? 
Am I going to need a nitrogen stabilizer or not? Am I going to need a soybean inoculum or not? So it's going to inform on decisions like that. Very interesting. You mentioned dealers earlier. Can you talk about kind of the go-to-market for Pattern Ag? Who are these ideal dealers? And you know what does that kind of look like for them? How, how does that part work? Yeah, what we have found are the best dealers are the ones that are really great trusted advisors. And those could be seed dealers in and of themselves, because this is a natural part of the seed selection process. We have a great network of agronomists that we work with, because this will inform a deeper level of decision making on the farm. That we have some retail, you know, that are uh, jumping on board with this because it provides them a competitive edge because, it, again, it's a much deeper data set. But those are really three of our largest groups of individuals that are part of our dealer network today. And then, you know, what they do is they take this information and they can sit down with the grower, have a much deeper discussion using a tool that is just so simple, yet driven by so much powerful information that they can just make quick decisions on each field by field by field. And then other than, you know, choosing a different variety or different hybrid, what's another example of how they might use this data to improve their yield? So one example would be, we can not only tell you whether you have corn rootworm, but we can tell you whether you have northern or western corn rootworm in that field. You know, it's just going to tell you whether you have extended diapause, which could change your crop rotation strategies. It's going to tell you, are the levels of bacteria that we're looking for that will tell you whether you have compaction in this field or not, or whether it was had standing water in it, and if you need to do additional drainage. So, you know, the number of decisions that can be impacted range from seed selection to varieties and hybrids, seed treatment, insecticide recommendations, fungicide recommendations, biological products and placement, crop rotation, scouting frequency, and tillage. So there's a number of different decisions that you can make just at a glance with uh, the information that we're providing. That's interesting. Th this is sort of a tangent, but you mentioned fungicide there. I wonder about you know the rise of fungicide use throughout the Midwest, what that does to the soil microbiology. I would imagine it kills off not just the, the, fun the funguses we're trying to get rid of, but, but a lot of the beneficial soil fungi as well. I mean, you guys seem like you'd be in a unique vantage point to kind of look at things like that. Is that on the radar at all? Well, currently, we've got a lot of things on, on the roadmap right now. That's not particularly one of them that we're looking at, but we certainly have the capability. So to give you an example of what we're doing, when we sequence a pound of soil when it comes into our lab, we're picking up everything, the whole signal, everything that's in there. So about 10,000 different species. We're picking up greater than 500 billion microbes. And to give you a sense of how much we don't know about the soil, 50% of what we sequence and what we pick up in those 10,000 species has not even been discovered yet. That's how little we know about the soil. So to give you a sense of scale on our analysis versus you know, what, what growers would be doing today, your typical chemistry analysis using a Malik 3 or, or, or something like that has about 10 data points that you get back. We're doing 10 million reads on each sequencing event. We're reading that soil 10 million different times, which is interesting in and of itself, but not actionable. And then all of that information then goes through our bioinformatics platform. We have algorithms that look for those specific things and at the pressures that they're in. So not just presence, but pressure. And then that's where all the magic happens. 
the machine that we've been building since 2018 is really that data platform and that AI learning. And then what I really love about what we do is we turn that information around into a really intuitive report. I mean, like stoplight, red, yellow, green, and red is bad, green is good. Yellow means you've got a problem that you need to pay attention to. Not only do we tell you that way, but we give you a scale that shows you how bad it is. And then we provide really intuitive recommendations that a dealer can go in and customize themselves. And then we tell you why it's a problem. We tell you what percentage of your field is a problem. We can give you a field comparison of each one of those pathogens. So really it's you know anywhere from two to three clicks and you're going to know everything about your field that you never knew before. And you, you kind of mentioned the roadmap and a lot of things on the roadmap. Can you walk us through maybe kind of what's next? What are the things you're getting asked for today that it's not quite there yet for whatever reason? Or, or where, where does this go next? Without disclosing too much, um, I would say that we're looking at above ground pathogens, you know, both in corn and soybeans. Uh, for next year, we're beta testing uh, some of that this year. You know, it's not a trivial process to bring in a new crop or a new pathogen. It takes, you know, about six months to validate your work and make sure that what you're seeing, the signal that you're picking up is exactly what it is. So that's uh, that's on the roadmap. Additional crops down the road, you know, that align really well with corn and soybeans make a lot of sense to us. So we're looking at two or three different crops, you know, that we could go into that would have a, a tremendous impact on those uh, commodity crops as well. Okay. And this is a little bit of a futuristic question, but do you think we'll ever see a technology that can do what you all are doing in your lab in the field as far as, you know, something that's mounted on a, you know, a piece of equipment to basically create a really granular soil biology map ever in the future? That's really the ultimate destination, right, is move everything from the lab out to the field. We'll get there, but we're probably eight to 10 years away from that kind of technology. But uh, that is the ultimate destination. What's great about that, though, is right now we have the largest soil metagenomics database in the world. Our database is second only to the Oceans Project, and we're going to surpass that pretty soon. So we'll have the largest metagenomics database. So by the time we get to the point where we're out sampling in the field, our machine learning will be like a flywheel effect that's just almost out of control. So the more data that we get, the faster our machine works. And so by the time we get out to the field, and I can't even imagine what the product's going to look like by then. Well, it, it probably goes without saying, but I'm going to let you say it just to be clear here. You know, when you talk about all this data collecting, you're certainly not collecting data on an individual farmer and then, you know, monetizing that somehow on the back end, I would imagine. That is correct. We do not sell the data. Actually, when the data goes up into the cloud, it is anonymized. So we don't know whose field it came off of. Um, the only th way that we can tie that back is the grower can tie it back in the app. There's another real benefit to working with us that I did want to highlight is that, you know, our product is constantly changing. You know, this year alone, we added five new pathogens. And so when we do that, to put it kind of in an easy to understand, we take soil biology and we turn that into gigabytes of data that goes up into the cloud. So whenever we turn on a new algorithm that turns on a new pathogen or a beneficial, it automatically populates past reports. So if you did business with us for five to 10 years, you could literally look at how your biology changes over that five to 10 years. 
you know, we show you everything and it doesn't cost anything else. When we turn it on, you automatically see it in past reports. And we had a little bit of a, you know, kind of a shock factor this year when we turned on those five new pathogens and growers went in there and looked at their results again. And they were like, where did that come from? Well, because we have that data, all we have to do is turn the algorithm on. Once we have, uh, once we have everything validated and you'll be able to see everything in past reports as well. Interesting. And, and do you have a way of like just measuring overall biological activity? Like, Hey, your soil is gradually becoming more or less biologically active over time. Yeah. We, we look at mycorrhizal fungi, uh, as an example, there's two kind of areas that we will report back how healthy your soil is. And we've had a couple of seed companies use that in their plots. They were looking at their biology and said, boy, this is like a desert. You know, I've got no mycorrhizal fungi in here at all. So I need to, I'm going to have to put something in here. I'm going to have to make a management practice change that's going to build that up and make this even a healthier soil. But those are a number of things that we're going to be adding into the product over the next 12 months as well. Yeah. It would seem to me that all that data would be a whole lot more useful if you could reliably complete the feedback loop. So you could say, here's what we found. Here's what the farmer did. Here's what the yield outcome was and kind of complete that. Do you have a systematic way of doing that? Or is it, well, hey, the, the customer keeps coming back here after year. So obviously they're seeing something that works. It's a fantastic question. Yes, um, we've got API connections right now with two of the major companies that make up about 70% of the market share for management data. We will have all API connections in place by the end of this quarter. And so we'll be able to stack what we told them was in the field with what they did and what was the outcome of that. So, you know, when you think about a crop, it's like a story, right? And right now, all you can see is chapter one and the last chapter, chapter one being planting and the last chapter was harvest. What we're doing is we're writing the chapters in between with our biological analysis. And so we can tell them, you know, from beginning to end what happened in that field. And we've been talking a lot about, you know, ways to to boost yield or at least to take off with the things that limit yield. Are there any examples of of actually being able to, for example, forego a fungicide application they might have made because they don't see the presence of whatever it is they're worried about or some way to lower inputs because they know more about what's happening down there? So I can give an example of both both sides of the coin. One would be most likely on corn rootworm, where they look at this field and they're like, they can't believe that it's 10 years continuous corn and there's no corn rootworm in this field. Well, there's no corn rootworm. So then they can plant a conventional hybrid. They don't have to pay for that extra you know, protection that, that's because there's nothing in that field. But what most commonly happens is on sudden death syndrome, it is far undertreated for what we're picking up. If you look at the levels of moderate to high sudden death syndrome across the Midwest, it's about 60 to 65% of all fields that we're measuring on hundreds of thousands of acres thus far have moderate to high levels of sudden death syndrome. Only about 25% of the fields that are being planted are being treated for sudden death syndrome. And the reason why that is is because you can't see it. You know, if you've got it at moderate to even lower to high levels, you can't actually see that happening. What you pick up, though, anecdotally is, hey, this part of the field, it turned a week earlier. And you don't know why it turned a week earlier than the rest of the field. But then we can tell you those things. That in and of itself is probably knocking five to ten bushels off and you didn't even know it. 
So that's kind of two sides of the coin where you can both save money or, you know, on, on what you're purchasing. And then the other side where you can really push some top end yields. So if you're pushing five to 10 bushels, I mean, it more than pays for itself, you know, 50 fold. All right. Well, thank you to Mike Tweedy for joining us on the show. You can learn more about what they're doing over at pattern.ag. Also, longtime listeners will remember episode 170, clear back then, with Trace Genomics founder, Dr. Pornima Parmaswaran, who was doing similar work as well over at Trace Genomics. Another good one to listen to if you're interested in this topic and you haven't yet, I'll make sure I include that link in the show notes as well. Well, special thank you to each and every one of you who continue to share these episodes on your social media. It's the single best thing you can do to help support this work. Uh, Or if you're a social media recluse like I'm quickly becoming, you can also text episodes to friends that you think they might enjoy. Every little bit helps, and I certainly appreciate it. Thanks so much for your time and your attention. I don't take it lightly. I'll be back next week with another story of ag innovation.